You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. The Turning Cartwheels podcast is brought to you by Vorpal Arrow Studios and is made possible by listeners like you. Here's your host, Jesse Kiefer. Hey, everybody, you're listening to the Turning Cartwheels podcast, and we're back for episode 14. Today, we're going to talk about looking at life through purple colored glasses. Wait, what? But before I get into it, I'm home tonight on a Friday night recording this, and I have my dogs, and I have trains, and it's just cool enough outside that I could have the windows open. So if you hear trains, or some extra ambient noise, I apologize for that in advance. But I didn't want to wait until the conditions were perfect in order to record. Because that perfect state probably just doesn't exist around here. And you have waited long enough. Now, before we get into the show, you know, it's shout-out time. Today, I want to tell you about a great podcast called Make Dad Read Comics. Now, the show is hosted by Patrick and his dad. Now, his dad has very little interest in comics, but the mission of the show is to have Dad read various comics and then learn a little bit about them. What we get is the non-comic reader's perspective on comics. We also get some good old-fashioned family drama and quality male bonding vicariously through Patrick and his dad. It's a wonderful show, and I recently wrote into the show to let them know that it's a wonderful show. I highly recommend their show, and you can find it at makedadreadcomics.blogspot.com. If you want to hear uh, Patrick and Dad react to my email, you can look for their Battling Boy episode, or you can look for a direct link to that in the show notes for today's episode. As always, I want to shout out the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. We have so many new and great shows that you just have to go over there and take a look for yourself and see what what you can find at electronicmediacollective.com. Speaking of awesome, I'm just going to play a promo for uh, a great show that's on the network, and they'll introduce themselves uh, towards the end of this promo. But love this group, love this network, and here's why. To all our American friends at the EMC Podcast Network, this is Roman and Rob of the Roman Podcast with a message for you. We understand you're worried about the upcoming elections, whether it's your freakishly small hands, your love for pantsuits, or your independent lack of interest. Some of you may be considering moving to Canada. Regardless of what side of the political fence you fall on, the Roman Pod and Cast is here to help. We've put together a thorough package to help you transition from loud American to meek and polite Canadian. When you come over the border, you'll be supplied with a tabernak meal plan, heavy on the Tim Hortons, maple syrup, and poutine. Also, you'll be receiving Canada's best-selling novel, 101 Ways to Apologize for Everything. And finally, you get the password to cross the border. The password is the word password. Uh, sorry, we were meaning to change that. So EMC American friends, bring the NFL, leave behind the guns, and we'll cover the health care. It's about time you move up here, eh? 
This message brought to you by the Roman Podcast. So listen, guys, if you're considering moving to Canada, they've got your back. But it's time. Let's get on with the show. Okay, so it's been a tick. Uh, And sometimes when I'm prepping for the show, I really have a hard time coming up with a topic. But the thing is that it's not because I can't think of one topic. No, usually it's because I have too many topics. and I'm trying to narrow it down to that one topic that I feel the most excited about talking about like now. So this episode went through no less than like four different lead topics. And even now I'm kind of divided on a couple of topics, but I settled on today's topic because I felt like it would really bring this podcast back out of those super serious topics that we've been discussing as of late and back into some of the shenanigans that you can expect from a serial enthusiast like me. So I want to start with an admission. I think that I might have a little bit of hipster in me. I mean, not really, because being a hipster wasn't even like an actual thing you could be when I was growing up, but hipsters are kind of a counterculture. I mean, not like the way that punk rock was counterculture, and not really even the way that grunge rock was counterculture, but those things aren't really around as in the same way anymore. So hipster is like the most relevant term I can come up with. That kind of sums it up. But really, I'm one of those people that never liked jumping on a bandwagon, even if it was for something that I would probably like. If it was super cool to the mass market, then I probably had a bizarre aversion to it. Like New Kids on the Block, for example. I didn't like them back when they were popular. I didn't like them when they came back for a reunion. But for a while there in between, when New Kids on the Block was no more, and they were just kind of floundering as a thing of the past, I kind of went through a little stint where I actually enjoyed the heck out of them. So a lot of times I find that I'm pretty late to the party on a lot of things. I refused to read Harry Potter until about the fourth book. And that was only because a college professor, well, professed all of its virtues to me to the point where I really couldn't ignore it anymore. Uh, Power Rangers. As a martial artist, I thought it was really kind of a dumb show and none of the martial arts looked realistic. And I was just kind of watching it in spite of all that, you know, like hate watching, like, like the way that people hate watch the bachelor or, or they watch American idol back in the day, just because they wanted to see what horrible things Simon Cowell would say. But I eventually kind of grew to be an actual fan of the power Rangers. Like I slowly started to get it. So Through trial and error, these experiences slowly started to twist my personal philosophy. My quote-unquote counterculture took a turn, almost like being a social justice warrior, but for things that were of little or no consequence. Okay, well, that's not entirely true, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself if I explain that. See, because the internet boom happened, and it, it started to become clear that disliking things that were cool wasn't really being counterculture the way that it used to be. Suddenly there was a word that started popping up more and more, troll. Now, internet trolls are so common nowadays that we almost don't even identify them as trolls anymore so much as we just say, hey, don't read the comments, like, ever. So how this relates to me is that I wasn't, like, 
the champion of any kind of quote unquote real music by being a new kids on the block hater. I was just being a troll. And later I had to concede that as far as pop music is concerned, some of their hooks have really stood the test of time. I'll never be one of the true faithfuls, but I can't say that I hate them. So my philosophy slowly started to morph into, okay, well, you can't hate something until you've given it an honest shot. Until then, you need to hold your uninformed opinion and keep it to yourself because opinions based on subjective gut hunches are shaky and they smell an awful lot like unfounded prejudice. And this approach kind of worked for a while. But then Twilight happened. Now, when Twilight happened, I approached it the same as I always do. I realized that I was having an aversion to it, to the whole premise of it, and I needed to experience it so that I could have an opinion on the matter. Now, in the past, if I tried something, I generally like a lot of things. So generally, if I tried it, I liked it. Well, I tried with Twilight I tried to watch those movies based on books that I don't really admire, and eventually I just couldn't do it. Like, I gave the first movie a try, and it wasn't horrible, so I thought, I'll try uh, the second one. And I still didn't like it, and I kind of felt like the criticisms were still valid, but they weren't very nice. And I realized that they weren't necessary. And if they aren't nice, and they aren't necessary, but I still have them, I kind of realized that I needed to look at things again. And that's when I realized, look, I can't convince you that Star Trek is awesome. You have to decide that for yourself. And no one is going to make me a diehard Nebraska Cornhuskers football fan. Uh, I mean, I like football, but I'd rather play it than watch it. And that goes for most sports. Most sports on TV, not a big fan. So I kind of came to this idea that you shouldn't hate on something just because it's not your cup of tea. If it's not hurting anyone, then don't hurt anyone. Does that make sense? I mean, okay, I don't understand furries. So for the uninitiated, furries dress up in huge elaborate mascot style costumes, typically of anthropomorphic animals. And I don't get it. But then they aren't forcing their fandom on me either. And the community at large isn't hurting anyone. So if it's not hurting anyone, then why should there be a huge group online that says horrible, hateful things about them? Same with bronies. Assuming that these male adult My Little Pony fans aren't some kind of predator with some oddly specific fetish, and they aren't really hurting anyone by just being a fan of the show, then there really isn't a problem. But there is, a, again, there's kind of a counterculture, but more like trolls. There are people out there that don't understand it, and so they have to hate it. So that's what I mean. If it's not hurting anyone, then I don't need to hurt anyone. I don't need to put an aggressive or passive-aggressive stance out there on the internet just because there's a thing and I don't get it. I don't like the Twilight movies. I think they're boring. I don't think that they were written well in the first place. But that's my opinion, and it can stop right there. That's where that's as far as I need to go. I don't like it. I have an ill opinion of it. And that's that. We can agree to disagree. If I go any further and say horrible things and just make fun of it to the point of bullying, then I have become a terrible person, at least in my own mind. 
Well, well, recently there's this little mobile game that came out. And so this ought to show you how far behind the times I tend to be, uh, because everyone has talked about this game and it's really old news at this point. Well, this little game is called Pokemon Go. I resisted the initial release, you know, when it was insanely huge and everyone seemed to be playing it with almost like religious level zeal. I probably resisted because I still have a little bit of that holdover hipsterism and it was really cool, so I couldn't possibly like it. But I gave myself other reasons too. Like I don't have a I don't have enough data in my plan for this. Or this would probably kill my battery. And I was never really into Pokemon before, so why should I start now? But wow, it didn't take long for normal, like everyday, average people to just come out of the woodwork with a slew of reasons that this game was horrible. Like you would have thought it was the reason that we had a national debt the way that people were going off on it. But here's the thing, not one of their reasons made any actual sense. Like they would tout that a person drowned or a person walked off of a cliff or they found dead bodies, that people were being robbed at Pokestops and real grown male adults who played Pokemon are not actually men. And that's probably that last one is probably the one that bothers me the most. Most of these are kind of made up. You can go on Snopes.com and find out which ones are real and which ones aren't. Yes, uh, some people were taking advantage of the fact that there's a Pokestop and robbing people. But, I mean, that could be purely coincidence or it could be just criminals being criminals. Pokemon Go didn't spawn crime. Crime took advantage of Pokemon Go. Now, I didn't have any skin in the game on this one. I was resisting this game for my own reasons. You know, because it was cool and I didn't think of it first. But the massive overreaction to this game, like the negative one, made me look at it a little more closely. And the first thing that I found out was that most of my reasons for not playing the game were really unfounded. I looked at it and several of the apps that I'm currently using that I use all the time were eating up way more of my data plan than Pokemon Go ever would. And there are plenty of ways to conserve your battery life using the game, including a battery saver mode built into the game. Taking a closer look at it, what I actually found was a game that encourages people to get out and to be active and to take a closer look at the historical sites around town. And you might even meet some new people along the way. Yes, you still need to use your common sense and look where you're going. And yes, you need to avoid dangerous places. And, and no, you shouldn't trespass on people's property. And yes, some of the news about the Pokemon Go did turn out to be true. Yes, there are probably some people that found dead bodies. But isn't that kind of a good thing? I mean, we don't want just dead bodies just kind of being there without anyone knowing, right? So the basic moral of the story here is that if you want to play this game, just make sure that you're out there paying attention to your surroundings while enjoying it. I mean, you could say the same thing for joggers who wear headphones. They should pay attention to what's going on so they don't get run over by a car. Despite the fact that I've never really gotten into the story of Pokemon or played any of the games before, including the card game or the video games, I gave it a shot. And you know what I discovered? I get out and I walk more, which means I'm less sedentary. Even more so, the creatures are kind of fun and fascinating. So I looked into them and I actually started playing one of the actual games. I, I picked up Pokemon X and I started playing it and it's kind of fun. 
and it's really a much deeper gaming experience than I ever gave the series credit for. Now it's obvious to me that there's a reason Pokemon is often the top-selling game for that whole year that it's released. And it's kind of like Harry Potter. There's a reason it has a strong fan following, because it's fun and it's engaging. So here I am, approaching 40 years old, and I just beat my first Pokemon game. And I also get out and I walk regularly because I might hatch an egg that contains a Pokemon that I haven't caught yet. Now, I would probably defend Pokemon Go as something that generally doesn't hurt anyone and is a strong family game that encourages us to sit on the couch less. So this little tale goes to show a little bit of my serial enthusiasm. I want to experience things, even things that I might not like. And I can't really experience things unless I truly immerse myself in the culture of a thing. And I want to do that until I can find a semblance of understanding of it. And at least some minimal proficiency in it. Otherwise, I'm just not going to be satisfied. So that finally leads us back full circle to my purple glasses. Yeah, remember? (laughs) I like purple. I used to wear purple. I used to wear a purple tank top like all the time under a hooded flannel shirt. That was a common outfit for me in the 90s. I also got like a purple plastic elephant out of like a bubblegum style machine at the grocery store, which I wore around my neck on a string. I love that stupid thing. It had this silly significance to me, like to the point where to show a girl that I was dating that I was re- like really into them, that's what I gave them. Not my class ring, not some other kind of jewelry. I gave them a purple plastic elephant. Yeah, you're learning all sorts of oddities about me on this episode. The point is, I like purple. So fast forward to the end of summer vacation this year. At the end of the summer, I'm forced to take a look at all my medical expenses for the year. And I have to see if I have spent all of the money that I set aside into a flexible spending account. And generally speaking, unless something big comes up, I have money left that I need to spend. So generally, what I look at is my eyeglasses. And I take a look to see if uh, they're still in good order or if I need to get a new pair. And this was a year where I really could use some good new glasses. So I went and I got my eye exam taken care of and I got my prescription filled and uh, it was time to go ahead and order some glasses. And I found a really good affordable source for eyeglasses online and I found a pair that were in basically my usual style. But I also found that I could easily afford a second pair kind of for fun or, or like, you know, for just around the house. Well, since I like purple, Why not do a purple pair for fun? I found a pair in a size that works for me and a style that works for me and even the color purple that works for me. And so I show them to my wife and she seems a little bit skeptical. But, uh, you know, that's kind of enough to make my counterculture tendencies flare up when she says that those are really purple. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure I want those glasses. Yeah, I know they're really purple. I chose them because they're purple. And it was almost at that moment that I realized that I had an opportunity here. I mean, my wife didn't actually need much convincing beyond that initial reaction. She, in in fact, she kind of loves my purple glasses. But I realized that my students would have a visceral reaction to these glasses. And it would spark genuine discussions about color. 
Well, remember, I'm an elementary art teacher, and that prospect is just way too enticing for me to pass up. So I did. I got two pairs of glasses. But I might as well have saved some money and only ordered the purple glasses because I almost never wear the other pair. And it happened. It happened immediately. The reactions were very telling. Some of my students would uh, see me and they'd say, hey, you have new glasses. And they would leave it at that. But a lot of times, and mostly from boys, it sounded more like, Mr. Kiefer, why do you have purple glasses? You know, in almost an accusatory tone or, or even worse, like a tone of betrayed disappointment. Why? Because purple isn't a boy color. I don't know if this is a global phenomenon, but at a certain point in American marketing, pink and purple became a color nearly exclusively marketed to girls and women. Gender identity locked in hues. So generally speaking, I'd be safe wearing any color I want. But purple and pink, for some reason, are weird enough that it's okay that you can make mention of it, at the very least, and have a full-on debate about my choices at worst. This little experiment in gender bending, I was hoping would maybe bring some awareness to tolerance and our strange ideas of gender norms um, in my classroom. But it's had some mixed results, of course. I mean, sometimes there's a whole class that will come to the decision that, okay, well, yeah, there's no such thing as boy colors and girl colors. There's just colors. Or they will just decide that, well, that's just Mr. Kiefer's favorite color. Fair enough. And leave it at that. But then there's other classes and other times where it dissolves into this uh, distraction where my glasses are the most interesting thing to talk about. And they're a clever way to make snarky comments about Mr. Kiefer. Because real men don't wear girl colors. In fact, today, uh, I responded to the question of why do you have purple glasses with, well, why are you wearing a blue shirt? Which is not my most clever response, but it was the response of the day. And the response that I received in turn from the second grade boy was, because I'm a man. Oh, wow. Feeling a little insecure already there as a second grader? And I had to wonder, like, where is this hyper-masculine fear coming from? I mean, could could I blame his parents? Well, sure. But really, it's probably much bigger than that. I mean, it's not uncommon for us to have all the kindergarten girls sit on the purple squares of a rainbow rug. Or look at just look at book bags, you know, for boys and girls. It's pretty clear which is for which. Boy characters are surrounded by certain colors on book bags, and girl characters are surrounded by certain other colors. And it has nothing to do with traditional color theory or color harmony or even clever design. It's about assigning gender certain colors for the purpose of marketing. In fact, technically, these purple glasses that I bought were listed as women's glasses. Never mind that they're in the same style as men's reading glasses. The men's glasses were not available in purple, but the women's glasses in the exact same style, only difference, they offered purple and they were called women's glasses. So let's look really quickly at the co-opting of purple. Purple and violet are secondary colors, which can be made when you mix the primary colors, red and blue, together. 
Now, disclaimer for those color purists out there. Yeah, purple and violet are slightly different. Purple is usually considered a little bit closer to red. And violet is usually considered slightly closer to blue. But for the purposes of this discussion, let's just assume that purple refers to a color between red and blue on the color wheel. And then we'll go from there. Now, generally, the color purple has been used to represent piety and royalty. Kings and queens have worn it. Japanese aristocracy and emperors have worn it. It's been associated with the Byzantine Empire and the Holy Roman Empire, and Catholic bishops wear it. In short, mostly old white dudes. But purple has also been used to represent the suffragette movement, and later became a color that was used to represent feminism, again, in honor of the suffragette movement. Purple is also a color that's sometimes associated with the LGBT community. So... I am not just trying to say that purple is really just a boy color in disguise that's been co-opted. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's as gender neutral, it's as gender positive, or it's as gender negative as we allow it to be. Just like red. Red can be worn as a gang color, but it can also be used to represent fanatic level of adoration for the Cornhusker football team. Now, as a redhead, non-football fanatic, I'm more likely to wear purple. So yeah, if I haven't said it enough, I like purple, and I like to stir things up a little bit. I like to get people thinking. If you made it through this long-winded soapbox about purple glasses, well, you might be wondering, what's the point? Who cares what color your glasses are? Well, if you're asking that question, then I guess you actually did get my point. But then the next question that kids tend to ask me about is, why do I have a ponytail? But see, I've had a ponytail a whole lot longer than I've had purple glasses. And here's the thing. This year, I get way more questions about my glasses than I ever do my hair. Even from the students who are just meeting me for the first time. Which kind of proves to me that for one reason or another... Purple glasses are kind of a big deal. Maybe it's because wearing purple has a gender connotation and I'm flying in the face of that. Or maybe it's just not okay for me to wear purple glasses unless I have some secret significant meaning behind it. But for whatever reason, my purple glasses are a real conversation starter. And I, you know, I knew that when I bought them. But I don't get why. I don't quite understand it. Why are they such an effective conversation starter? But at the end of the day, at least we're talking about it. All right, this has been a real quick one, but that's going to do it for this 14th episode of the Turning Cartwheels podcast. Hey, what do you think about this? Like, why do you think kids can't get over the fact that I'm wearing new glasses that are of a weird color to them? Drop me a line. Shoot me a message. Uh, you can do that on Twitter at Jesse Kiefer, or you can send me a message on Facebook through the Turning Cartwheels podcast Facebook page, which you can find at facebook.com forward slash cartwheels podcast, or you can always email the show. And I'd love to add some of your voices to this show. If you want to send me an MP3, or you can even call into our Google voicemail at area code 402-512-1868. And remember, you can send me emails at cartwheelspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, folks, that if you're looking forward to future episodes, you can really help the show by subscribing to it on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Podcasts, 
and if you use those services and you'd like to help us out, you could give us a, a review and that will help people to find us. But hey, I'm just excited that you're listening. If you really dig the show, the biggest thing you can do is to go ahead and share it on social media or let a friend know if you think they might like it. Spread the word. Anyhow, I've been your host, Jesse Kiefer. And until next time, have fun, or at least work at it. The Turning Cartwheels podcast is produced by Vorpal Arrow Studios and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. For this episode's show notes or to hear more, you can visit cartwheelspodcast.com or like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash cartwheelspodcast. So how this relates to me is that I wasn't championing, championing, and that's not a word.